How to Create a Glitch, the complete series. Chapter 8, The Esoteric Gates and the Architecture of Reality It is easy to see that human sociality is constructed upon the use of certain objects which have importance both socially and with regards to human survival. These are the tools that we have crafted over the many thousands of years since our consciousness developed to survive and communicate. It is easy to see that these basic tools, a fundamental vocabulary of inventions, represents something essential and meaningful for our species. But, it is more than that. The esoteric gates are objects which have a higher significance because they have altered the engineering of sociality and ultimately directed the course of our experience of this reality. These objects have often, throughout the centuries, had symbolic, ritualistic and spiritual significance for a reason. They represent the basic building blocks of human sociality. But more importantly, they have fundamentally changed the way that we interact, what synchronicity results and how we experience this reality. I'll start with the most basic of inventions, the room. A room can be a physical structure or a man-made invention. It can be a hut or a cave. It can be a building or a church. A room is simply a place where two people can meet and share the same subjective experience. It is a common substrate. A room has significance is an esoteric gate because it is ingrained in every social society of human beings. We all know what a room is, regardless of culture or language or race. We all experience the same, stream, of reality once we enter that room. The only difference is a finite number of orientations and locations. A finite or exclusive capacity for human expression. Next, beyond the esoteric gate of the room, is the esoteric gate of the door. A door represents an entry point into a room, a place through which one can transit from a spatial space of near-unlimited subjectivity to one of limited subjectivity. A door may have capacity for two, even three, but at some point, it ceases to be a door. A doorway is entrance point, a portal, a port, through which exchange may occur, whether of ideas or objects. A doorway is a vantage point, an exit, a place of transit. Now that I've given you a few examples, let me explain the significance. These structures, or inventions, are built into the fundamental architecture of reality. We think that a doorway is just a physical object, but what is in fact is a structure embedded in our psyches. If one begins to see that a door and a room are nothing more than abstractions, which are built into the architecture of the common mind, one can see that the physical constraints we impose upon him are in fact nothing more than constraints within our own minds. Imagine stepping through a doorway and traveling from a room in the US to a room in London. Imagine that sharing a room meant seeing through another's eyes. Opening the esoteric gateways means recognizing that we did not invent these things. We merely constructed something which existed and had esoteric significance before. Just as one builds a physical reality around oneself to manipulate one's experience, so too can one, using these self-same technologies, build a subjective stream of experience that defies objectivity. The limits of spatiality exist only in our minds, created by our upside-down view of existence. The objective doesn't exist first. 
the subjective overrides the objective. Part of opening the esoteric gates involves separating oneself from the intersubjective reality that we all accept as the basis for existence. Once one has distinguished one's bubble universe, it becomes possible to impose one's internal architecture upon the objective. A doorway may separate one room from the next, but it is also the embodiment of an idea which once understood can open the mind to a whole new kind of subjective experience. I'll end this volume with a short list of esoteric technologies which must be incorporated into one's understanding of glitching and reality to truly experience the potential of the mind, the room, the door, the road, path, the pen, the sword, the horn, the wreath, the wheel, the staff, the rope, etc. There are many more, but you will have to find them on your own. This is only an introduction. The rest is up to you. The Architecture of Reality This is the fifth volume of the series, How to Create a Glitch in the Matrix. The purpose of this volume is to elaborate the design of the system and to describe the steps towards the mastery of it. It begins with the idea presented in previous volumes. Namely, that reality is a construct which ultimately reflects our impulses. And it ends with the realization that the mastery of those impulses reveals the mastery of creation itself. Imagine that creation is a vast clockwork constructed out of cogs and wheels. It shouldn't be too hard. Because this is a common conception. But imagine for a moment that those cogs and wheels, the contact points between space and time, are in actuality the interactions between people. In this cosmic drama, conscious beings are the centerfold of existence. I do not mean to say that existence purely revolves around the substance of consciousness. More precisely, our perception of reality, our consciousness, through which we interpret the clockwork that is creation, operates through the lens created by our interactions with each other. The previous volumes of these books described in great detail a kind of architecture. It was variously described as plates or shells of routine, habit and meaning. However, the purpose of understanding that architecture wasn't provided with full clarity. I will endeavor to do that with this book. Imagine for a moment that each of us exists in a kind of physical structure comprised of the various shells or plates. These truly physical structures are rather like the interface with which our consciousness interacts with the substance of being and the consciousness of others. Very much like a cog or wheel within a clock is designed to intersect with other cogs and wheels according to its design, so too do these shells or plates act as to create conjoining experiences with other shells or, plates, at particular times. The mechanism through which this occurs is as described in a previous volume, the higher phrases the lower. Thus, an intersection between two consciousnesses in the plate of spatial location must be preceded by an emotional gateway. Just as, an esoteric gate precedes a symbolic intersection and a symbolic and archetypal. What does this mean in practice? It means that, for example, Two individuals who link up in the plate of spatial intersection have a pre-existing emotional gateway relative to some object or idea. Thus, in our example, two strangers who meet in the coffee shop will, as an example, have admired the same classic car the day before. As another example, two individuals will experience an emotional intersection because they share an archetypal orientation.
So, for example, they will intersect emotionally, relative to some object or idea, because they share the same archetypal connection. So, for example, two lawyers will develop contrary legal arguments, emotional intersection, in response to an archetypal gateway, the archetype of the lawyer. Of course, it is trite to say that, but I am not speaking in terms of conventionalities. What I am saying is the direction of causation through these plates is constantly shifting from the esoteric down, such that, if one learns to observe one's thoughts, one can see in the very moment of a social interaction how the intersections have occurred. Imagine for a moment that one were to develop the ability to comprehend the very depths and heights of one's mind. Imagine that in this comprehension, one could see that each thought, manifesting in its particular plate, induces an intersection with another in the lower. Once one is able to conceive of this in literal terms, it becomes possible to witness the congruity of each dimension of a social exchange as a direct consequence of the highest phrasing. So for example, a person sits in a conference room, which is being used as a classroom for students. During this class, the teacher uses a cup as an allegorical device to express to the students the need to empty their consciousness, so that it may be filled once again, with knowledge. This is an esoteric gateway. Next, the symbolic, the students write the lessons of the good teacher. Then, the archetypal must follow, the students assemble, all being students, under the tutelage of the teacher. And then, the emotional, the comprehension of the students in grasping the lesson. Next, the spatial intersection of the students and teacher in that particular classroom. Afterwards, the voice of the teacher speaking the words of his or her lesson. Next, the posture of the students, seated in their chairs around the table, which is a point of common orientation. Then, their facial expressions, expressing the moment of comprehension. Finally, their hands, moving as they write. Now, the esoteric comes first. So it may be that all these students and the teacher have schedules which allow them to know where they are supposed to be at a particular time. But in truth, the only reason they are even there is because the teacher used the language to express the allegory of the cup. Think about that for a second. Think about the implications of this idea, that 20 to 30 students and a teacher are all present, learning, writing, sitting with the same posture, because of the causal chain created from the words, empty your cup. Once you begin to understand this idea, you are close to appreciating the mastery of creation itself. Now, it is not enough to merely say the right words at the right time to produce such alignments. The reason is that we are all entangled in a complex web of intersections every moment of every day. We do not exist in the esoteric, unless we are able to elevate ourselves to it. So, we must go back to the basics, back to the beginning, from what stems our intersection with the system. Our impulses. Our impulses direct us here and there, and our impulses are likewise directed at the very top by the esoteric. So, although our impulses orchestrate our lives, arranging us, as players on a stage, they are the mere vestiges of something higher. How does one escape one's impulses? How does one direct them? For the person who masters their own impulses has the power to shape creation as he or she wills. Not in the sense of rearranging the pieces of the puzzle, or the players on the stage, 
but in the sense of choosing what direction it may go. Imagine for a moment that one goes to a hockey game. Imagine for a moment that one could rewind the play, so to speak, to a particular moment, and imagine for a moment that one could choose a point at which it should divert from its predicted course. That person would not be a watchmaker, no, because he or she could not shape the substance of being itself, rearrange it, reorder it, but very much like a watch repairman, he or she could fine-tune it. There is a moment in every person's life where he or she realizes that they are in control of the outcome. Not in the sense of being in power but in the sense of truly being in control of how an event turns out. In that moment, this person has the ability to choose to accept that responsibility or to not to. Again, I am not talking about control in a trivial sense. I am not talking about words or action. I am saying that in one moment in every person's life, their impulses are reflected in the substance of being. And in that moment that person can accept responsibility for everything and everyone. And if they choose to accept that, then the resonance of their impulses with reality itself will direct the course of history. But it is a terrible responsibility for one to accept. To know that each and every action that one does will determine the difference between life and death, and suffering, for some of us. So, how do we understand these impulses? How do we begin to see that our impulses are dictating the results of events nominally outside our control? The answer is to recognize that in one's life a person develop habits of self-hatred and self-love. These two impulses produce a veritable abundance of feelings and responses as we interact with the world around us. Perhaps you have fallen in love with sadness. Then, a part of you will dictate reality to produce scenarios that bring out sadness in your life. Perhaps another person has fallen in love with happiness. Then, their impulses will direct reality in a certain way. No one's impulses are uniform. But the self-defeating, fatalistic attitude tends to produce events which confirm it, just as the optimistic self-loving attitude creates situations that bring it out. Now, imagine these impulses are strings, and the world is your vast puppet show. Contrary impulses twist people this way and that, while unified homogeneous impulses create a smooth delivery. Creating glitches is fundamentally about bringing out the hidden nature of reality so it can be observed. But, to shape reality, one must purify one's self in a particular way, so that one's impulses are seamless. Revealing that this is the truth shows one that we are all part of our own Truman Show reality.